Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. This is Priscilla. And this is Norma. And you're listening to It's It's a Mystery Mystery for for Me. everyone and welcome back to it's the mystery for me it's 2024 and we're finally back with an episode yay us insert claps in the background (laughs) right we needed to take a little break or i mean it's really me who needed to take the break there's just a lot going on with adulting with working if you don't know i work a full-time job outside of here and it just got really really busy in the last few months because I went from being a third year to a fourth year associate, which meant that I was in more of a manager position. It just felt sometimes like I didn't have enough time in the day to even think. It was just, it's a lot. Adulting is not easy, but Mm -hmm. 2024 is about finding a work-life balance. And part of that was me asking myself if I wanted to continue with the podcast. I started doing the podcast because... I wanted to tell these stories that weren't told enough, right? And I told you we should do it together. Mm -hmm. And so we started on that journey. I'm not sure where this takes us, you know? I'm not sure of next steps. I don't know if it's too heavy to continue to do. There are just a lot of things that pass through my mind a lot of the times when it comes to the podcast stuff. So I think for now I'm on the side of I want to continue doing it and seeing where it takes us. I agree. I'm on the same page. We do appreciate you guys for being patient. I know a lot of you guys are writing on my TikTok. When's the podcast coming? When's the podcast? But I didn't want to give a date because I wasn't, you know, 100% sure. So I wanted to be 100% sure before saying to y'all like, oh, it's coming back January 2nd. But here we are. It's January 2nd. And it's actually back. We hope you guys brought in the new year very safely and soundly. Me and Norma, we just spent time making vision boards, which we have been doing now for like pretty much every new year. Yeah, it's become our tradition. I think we're gonna continue. We should just make it a tradition. Yeah, make it a family thing every year. We just do it. It came out really nice and artsy. But if you looked at mine versus Norma, I feel like mine's like a lot of colors and bright and loud, and then Norma's is very abstract. Yes, Um, mine's it's like a little bit more coordination but I was also an art minor yeah you know me not so much my teachers gave me a passing grade because I was an honor student that's the only reason (laughs) yes I'm serious I feel like you were decent no Norma I drew stick figures like let's be serious right now Hmm. I'm not kidding the only reason I passed was because I was an honor student in true crime related news I think you talked about Kanika Jenkins' family getting some sort of settlement from the city of Chicago or from Illinois in general. I don't know. Yeah, they had filed for a wrongful death suit. Right. Initially for $50 million. 
And they did settle, but they didn't disclose an amount. Right. But three weeks ago, they posted that it was for $6 million that they got. Six million is nothing. Yeah. After taxes, let's say it's like... Attorney fees. 50% gone. Attorney's fees. So we're down to three million after taxes or so. And then attorney's fees, probably 33% or so. So you're really left with what, like a million and change? Like high, high up there. Like maybe like 1.8. Really? Yeah, Norma, if you did three minus 33%, right? Like... Okay. Three million minus 33%, it would be around two. Well, two million. You could invest some of it in a safe way, like an investment fund or something like that, which is basically what I do. Meaning I'm an investment funds attorney. Yeah. But, you know, there's no price tag for your child at the end of the day Mm -hmm. or a loved one, right? Two million would never be enough. 10 wouldn't be enough. If you want to check out that episode, if you haven't listened to it. It's episode 29. Yeah, there you go. So now we're going to turn to this week's episode. And Priscilla's hosting, guys. I know. I haven't hosted in a minute. Yeah. Right? It's been a while. I'm ready to be back in the hosting seat. Momo is barking, though. He's excited. He's excited that I'm hosted. So for this case, I watched a movie called The Silent Truth, which is on the Voodoo app, and that's spelled V-U-D-U. I know, it's a very strange name. I think they need to market themselves as something different, because, you know what I'm saying? It's not like it's a paranormal network. Right. (laughs) It's like a Netflix. Anyways. And it's a movie? It's not a documentary? It's a documentary. All right, it's 54 minutes long. Uh, You can check it out for free, but there are some ads. You can't skip the ads. There's like four or five ads sometimes. I also checked out news articles from Democracy Now!, Fox News and Yahoo News, as well as official classified documents that I'm not sure that I was meant to see, but I saw them. So we gonna talk about it. (laughs) And you feel good admitting that right now. I feel great. Listen, somebody put it on the internet. Every page I looked at at the top said like, classified government, only for government purposes, only for government use. I said, well, how the hell did it end up here? Someone got fired. That's <laughs> Okay. False alarm. I just looked at the first page and it says literally in capital letters for immediate release. And when I actually read it, it basically was released because of all the misinformation. So we'll get into that. So they released official documents. And I mean, you see it says for official use only. Okay. Yeah, on every page. For official use only, law enforcement sensitive. So I got kind of scared reading it. But I was just like, well, you know what? It is what it is. My Google search is already weird as it is. I'm sure the FBI agent assigned to me is probably like, what the hell is this girl? Why is she looking for about Jaleel White and his Steve Urkel days? And now she's Googling this and that. But anyways, we'll get to the case. You'll see how extreme my Google search has got for this case. Without further ado, let's talk about this case, which takes us back to July of 2005. This is the Lavina Johnson case. We had a family friend named Lavina. Yeah, it was. But just, it was Lavinia. Yeah, I was just. She's Jamaican. That. But this Lavina is not Jamaican. She is from Missouri, and she was born on July 27th of 1985. And if you're like, what part of Missouri? Florescent. 
fluorescent look fluorescent oh someone's oh. gonna someone's gonna criticize well why don't you google it i'd oh, yeah, love I to you know Let's, hear google say it out loud yeah me too there's an option to say it slow let's click that fluorescent fluorescent okay, okay. she's from fluorescent missouri and her parents are Dr. John Johnson, which is interesting. John Johnson. I like that. Mm-hmm. wonder if they called him JJ. And Linda Johnson. And I have to say, watching her parents on this documentary, like, they are just so dedicated. It just, it was nice to see how the dad supported the mom and how the mom was supporting the dad. And I'll get into it in a little bit, but yeah, it was just really... It was really nice to see. Mm -hmm. Okay. So according to an article from Yahoo News, Dr. Johnson served in the army for three years. And then he went to college and that's where he also ended up earning a doctorate in psychology. Okay, black excellence. Based on pictures I could find online and things I saw in the documentary, Lavina was one of four children, two girls, two boys. So she was one of the girls. And the two boys apparently are older. And her sister, Lakeisha, is a year or two younger, or a few years younger. But she was described as a younger sister. Mm-hmm. Lavina was described as an honor student and musically gifted, though they didn't say what instrument she played in particular. She was also described by her peers as sarcastic, sassy, and happy-go-lucky. One day when Lavina was still in high school, it, it appears it was around her senior year, She asked her dad about college and specifically, could he afford to pay for her and her sister? Her dad had saved money for college, but Lavina then told him that she wanted to go to college specifically in California. It's kind of like, well, I don't know if I got California money. I got Missouri money. I don't know about California. But then he also said like, listen, if that means I got to work a few more years to send you guys to college and to help you guys out, like I'm willing to do that. So don't even worry about that. But it's almost like she already had her mind made up when she went and asked her dad that question. Cause then she follows up by saying that, you know, she wants to join the army and he's just like, Oh, what? And she just felt like, okay, this could help me pay for college and stuff. Right. And alleviate that kind of burden, which again, he didn't feel like it was a burden. He's like, listen, I got some money for you. I'm going to work and, you know, you don't have to join the army. If that's the reason you're joining, like, don't do it for that. Mm. But her mom says in a Yahoo News article that she was just a very patriotic person. Her dad follows that up by saying she's very much like her mom and the women in the family in that once she gets an idea and she wants to do something, she's going to do it. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't tell her she ain't going to do it. She's going to do it. So he even says, like, I asked her if she's asking me for permission but it was almost like, nah, this is this is what I'm going to do. Like, I'm not asking you. Just I'm letting you know as a courtesy <laughs> that I am going to enlist in the army. And the documentary talks about how the army loves to go into public schools and do these like ROTC programs. I think that's what it's called. Whatever. It's like junior army person in training type mm-hmm. of stuff that they got going on. But people talked about basically the disadvantages of those types of programs in school and how they like to highlight the positives of the army, but not always the negatives, right? Like the PTSD and the being mm-hmm. away from home, depending on where you are, right? And at this time, it's around 2003, 9-11 happened in 2001. Wow. We have sent troops all over the world, mainly to the Middle East, 
And so this is a very contentious time in US history. You know, her parents were definitely worried, but again, Lavina was so determined. And so she ended up enlisting in the United States Army in 2003. There aren't too many articles that specify exactly where she spent most of her time, but I kind of was able to piece it together. And I think she spent a majority of the time on a base in Texas before eventually ending up in Iraq. And so she gets to Iraq the end of May, 2005, and she's there for six weeks. And we'll come back to that timeline. But during her time that she's deployed, she writes a lot of letters to her families. Of, of course, she is making phone calls too and stuff, but the documentary, The Silent Truth, shows some of those letters and has somebody read it. I don't know who they hired to read it, but you know, it, it, was, it was a nice touch. So one of them described her first day in training and how she got a rude welcome from the person in charge who told everybody to get their ass off the bus and to do push-ups. And she said how they would just be like saying up and down and they would, you know, really make you hold that up position and really mm. make you hold it down. And she's like, girls were crying, but not me. I was tough. You know, I knew that this was just the beginning. I felt good after that first day. Like, don't worry about me. She also would write home and say, can you guys send me stuff in particular, a key lock because, you know, I had issues with mine and they had to cut it off. And also, can you send me the pin for my debit card? Because I haven't been able to get money and stuff. And I gave my last $5 to like someone who was having a baby. And then she's like, and also, can you send me soap? We don't have soap over here. Yeah. Soap. Soap. Yeah. I was like, huh? Uh-huh. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And by over here, I guess like at this point, it's interesting because some of the letters are like, again, from 2004 to 2005, but I don't think she was in Iraq just yet when she's writing these letters about not having soap. I don't know what kind of stuff was happening. Are you saying that she may have been in the United States doing training? Yes. And didn't have soap? Yes. Wow. But again, it's kind mm. of hard to know because they didn't really specify the time frame. And I saw one article that said, oh, six weeks, and I was able to estimate, but hmm. the point is she didn't have soap. I don't know where she was, but she didn't have no damn soap. In one letter, she talks about how she flew first class to Iraq, that the army paid for that, which I was like, oh, that's super fancy. And she was saying how Iraq had a Burger King and a Subway. And she talked about the fact that she learned how to play spades. And she ended by saying like, listen, it's really, really hot over here. Like it gets to like 110 degrees, apparently 120 sometimes, wow. but the nights are so beautiful. Then she wrote another letter just saying, today I woke up at 3 a.m. and that that's the norm. And that they would go outside in really heavy clothes and she was surprised nobody would pass out because of the heat and how people would be shooting guns next to her, you know, practicing and stuff. And when the bullets fly out, they're hot, so they would burn her skin and she had burns and she was just going through it. But she still had like this positive outlook, like don't worry about me. She would end the letter with like, don't worry, like everything's great, I'm having a great time. She talked about going to church and how she really enjoyed it, but it was like an interesting dichotomy of having, you know, people worshiping and then also the guns are lined up on the side. So she was like, yeah, this was kind of interesting, but I enjoyed church. So 
she just talked about like all the great things that were happening and even the tough stuff. It, it seemed like she was enjoying her experience. On July 17th of 2005 at 7.30 in the morning, she calls home and she speaks to both her parents. Her dad answers, he talks to her and then he passes the phone to her mom and she tells her mom, I might be coming home sooner than I thought. You know what? I think I might be home in time for Christmas. So according to a Yahoo article, this reminded me of you. She expressed her so much excitement over Christmas and she told her family, do not decorate the tree until I get home. <laughs> Norma's, the, Norma's known it's as true. the decorator of the tree. Yeah. Okay. So she was excited. She was looking forward to it and there was no distress in her voice. And she said to her mom, if I can't call you tomorrow, I'll call you as soon as I can. So tomorrow being July 18th. Her mom did ask her, like, should I wake up your siblings and stuff? I'm sure they would want to say hi. She's like, it's so early in the morning. Like, don't don't do it. It's okay. If you're wondering about the time difference at this point in Iraq, it's eight hours ahead, more or less. Mm. So I say more or less because you know how we have daylight saving. So it's like today when I looked up what time is it in Iraq right now in January, it said we're eight hours behind. Okay. And they're ahead. But I, I don't know about the summer. I mean, I guess I could have Googled that too, but whatever about eight hours y'all so at this point in time it's probably around three something in the afternoon when she's calling but yeah her mom doesn't wake up the siblings and stuff like that and they go about their day on july 19th at 7 30 a.m the doorbell rings the mom kind of peers over the balcony so i guess the way the staircase is set up if you look over the balcony at the top of the stairs you can kind of see who's outside and she noticed that a soldier was outside and she immediately was scared because when a soldier comes to your door and your kid or your relative is in the military in general, it's usually not good news. Mm -hmm. So she immediately called for her husband. She's like, please come like the soldiers at the door. And then he opened the door. And then of course they asked, are you Lavina's parents? And they said, yes. And they're like, okay, we're sorry to inform you that your daughter died in Iraq. She suffered a self-inflicted gun wound to the head. A self-inflicted? Right. Yes. And so the dad in the documentary, he's immediately like self-inflicted and the guy kind of tries to correct himself. Well, well, not self-inflicted. I don't know. But she did suffer a gun wound to the head. And the dad's like, okay, how did this happen? Like, we're still investigating. Mm -hmm. We don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, of course... The family's devastated. The siblings are crying. They're screaming. They're just like, what the hell is going on? And the dad, he's connected. He used to, you know, be in the army. He says he even used to work for like, I think it's the Department of Defense, something in the government related to the army. Okay. So he calls up a few friends and just asks them to look into this. Listen, they said that my daughter suffered a gunshot wound to her head. And they also added that she was found in her barracks is what they call it. I guess her room. Yeah. And so the friend looks into it, calls a friend, da da da. That friend calls the friend back and says, hey, she was actually found in the contractor's tent, like away from her room. The contractor, it's just somebody like the army hired to do some work or whatever. She was found in a contractor's tent. And when like that person told the friend, the friend had a heart attack. Wasn't even able to tell the dad. Luckily, he didn't die, according to Democracy News. Oh, my gosh. Yes, but he was so... I know. I know. It's shocking. And the the dad literally is like, but he didn't die. I was like, okay. Oof. But he then oh. says, like, he had to find it out from the friend's relative. The friend's relative had to come and be like, he had a heart attack. 
when he found out, but I just wanted to let you know that this is what happened. And the dad is like, what? Why would they lie about something like that? Like where she's found? Yeah. That's kind of weird. Okay. So then in this process, her body is being brought back to the United States from Iraq. And a second person comes to their house and they suggest that she has a closed casket. And he's like, why would we do something like that? Mind you, Lavinia is only 19 years old at this time. Wow. Yes. And it's July, July 19th, July 20th at this point. Her birthday's on July 27th. Oh my gosh. Right. Wow. She's about to turn 20 years old. So, I mean, the way her dad sees it is like, I'm going to have an open casket. People want to see her. You know, I need to see her. Yeah. And so he's, at this point, I mean, the suspicion's growing. He's like, let me go see her when the body gets here. I'm going to go see her and see what's going on. And so when he goes to see her at the funeral home, he all of a sudden has more questions than answers. He sees that her face is swollen, you know, and sometimes that happens. Again, she was in the heat, Okay, so mm-hmm. like, because they are living in like tents, by the way, out there. Yeah. For the most part. At least the contractor one was a tent, but like a lot of the pictures that I found online, it's just like, you know, you just kind of roughing it out there in Iraq. But yes, her, so her face is swollen, but he kind of sees her eye looks like as if she has a black eye and her nose looks like it has just had surgery. And he's just kind what? of like, what? Like, what's going on? And he notices that she has like a bullet hole on the left side of her head. He's just so confused. Cause again, he's like, what happened here? Did she do this to herself? Like this doesn't sound like my daughter. So it's they on go the on the left side of her head on the left side. And Is she left-handed? She's not left-handed. She's mm-hmm. right-handed. Mm-hmm. Bizarre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the dad immediately points that out. He's like, Hmm, that's odd. And he is told at some point in time, like we actually determined that, this was a suicide which he's like what a suicide my daughter would not do this right so we go and table it we don't have the funeral we come right back to this so they have the funeral it's around her birthday at this point and Mm -hmm. the mom is just like besides herself like she's like i felt like my world was falling apart and i i just felt like i have to be strong for my kids my other kids this is a lot but she's like i just want to break so they go ahead with the funeral they bury her on august 3rd 2005 the dad gets a call from the doctor who performed the autopsy the autopsy according to a report the dad later got was actually completed on july 22nd so why it took him till august 3rd to call the dad I don't know. And the doctor apparently gets on the phone and says, hi, I'm Dr. So-and-so. I heard you have some questions for me regarding your daughter's death. Like kind of just very matter of fact. I heard you have some mm-hmm. questions. And he's just like, yeah, so did you guys do a rape kit? And the doctor's like, why would we do that? There's no evidence of sexual assault. So the dad's like, okay, but how do you know that if you don't do a rape kit? And he's just like, well, we didn't do one type of thing. And the dad's like, okay, so you're saying it's suicide. I saw a bullet hole on the left side by her temple. And he's like, well, no, no, there was a bullet hole at the back of her head. And the dad's like, I don't know. I didn't see that. And then he goes on to say like, what is your theory? He said, well, your daughter, she took her M16, which is a 40 inch gun. Okay. So yeah, it's almost four feet basically. Almost four feet. Four feet would be 48 inches, but just imagine it's around four feet. She's 5'1", mind you. 
So the autopsy doctor is saying, oh, she put the gun in her mouth somehow and pulled the trigger and that's how she died. And the dad's like, but why would she have a bullet hole on the left side of her head in the temple if she blew, like if she literally pulled the trigger when the gun's in her mouth, it should actually blow out the back of her head. Mm -hmm. And it would have been, even messier like you know and so the doctor's like well the trajectory just happened to go out of her temple and the dad is just like you gotta be kidding me at this point he's like y'all are playing too many games because that don't even make any sense he's like my daughter's five one there's no way like she could was able to do that she was able to position the gun in that way right and pull the trigger he's like you can't even reach the trigger think about all these other circumstances her arms are not that long like yeah. it's just what? bizarre yeah mm-hmm. you know of course he talks about the other abrasions she has on her body but i don't know how the autopsy doctor responded to these things this mm-hmm. is stuff that i found online and it said that Aside from the abrasions she had all over her body, like I said, she had a broken nose, which looked like she had plastic surgery after she had died. A black eye they tried to cover up with makeup, some loose teeth, a bullet hole in her head on the left side, and burned hands. And how did they know it was burned? When she got to the funeral home, her gloves were glued to her hand. They were trying to, I don't even know why they, glued to her hand. What? So they had to kind of peel it out and they realized it was burned. This is just, I'm speechless. Yes. At this point, the dad is just like, well, I'm pretty sure she was beaten. Because what is this? Why would you guys give her a nose job? Just certain things. He's like, how would she have a black eye? Mm-hmm. He, it just felt to him like it wasn't adding up. I literally wrote down a quote the dad said, and it said, this man must be crazy about the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> he just gave off that type of like vibe that you're just like, ah. Uh, he really going hard for his daughter. He don't care. He don't care who it is. He going to be like, you crazy. Because my kid would never do no shit like that. That's kind of that he is. So this kind of brings us back, honestly, to the statistics I was talking about in the high school and like what they're leaving out. So while watching this documentary, I learned that one in three women will be raped in the military. Yes. Wow. And only a small percentage of that will be reported. Of course, it's, you know, rape is one of the most highly unreported crimes. Mm-hmm. I, I think this was in the news, but someone in Westchester that one of my friends knew, was one of her close friends, committed suicide, jumped off the Tappan Zee Bridge. Oh, right. Because of assault. That. Because of some sort of assault that happened when she was in the army. It's crazy, but this happens more than people know. So at this time when the documentary happened, this was in 2010 when the documentary was actually filmed and, or at least it was when it was put out. So there was someone on there named Colonel Ann Wright, who was like a 29 year veteran. And when the US went into war with Iraq or with Afghanistan, you know, they'd be warring with everybody at this point. I don't Mm -hmm. even know. But she backed out. She just, I'm done with y'all. I'm done with y'all. Like didn't agree with it apparently backed out Mm. so she did i guess extensive research about women and them dying mysteriously while in armed services and specifically it looked like she focused on women who died in iraq and at that point in time in 2010 120 women had died in iraq 50 percent of those deaths so 60 people 60 women Mm -hmm. were non-combat injuries what yes 
And then 50% of that number, so 30 women, suspicious deaths. That's really weird. It's very Um, strange. This got into very strange conspiracy-like theory area. Because what is this? And what's going on here? And basically what Colonel Ann was saying was, is there an ongoing cover-up? The dad feels that there definitely is a cover-up. He kind of was like, I know how the army works. He went to his church and he talked to the pastor's wife and other parishioners. And he said, can you guys Google about like whether the army has been dealing with certain situations like this? Because this can't be the first time. Mm -hmm. We can't be the first family. They're like, sure, we're on it. And lo and behold, of course, after a Google search, they found that many, many people had gone through this. And a lot of people just didn't pursue anything against the army because they were outnumbered. They felt like, well, I don't have the resources to go up against the government. And, you know, it's just like sometimes people feel like, you know what? I just, I'd rather it just be. I don't want to like unearth more things type of thing. But he was ready to move the whole earth. All right. He got his shovel. He is ready. He's unearthing anything in order to get the truth about his daughter. So upon like learning about other people, the documentary talks then about this woman named Tina Priest. And... She was a white woman who was in the army and she was right around the same age as Lavina. She also died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound, also intraoral, so shot herself in the mouth with an M16 rifle. She was 5'2". Her family decided to hire an investigator to just like disprove stuff. And apparently the investigator said, yeah, it's literally impossible for her to have shot this gun in her mouth. It's impossible. When they told the army that, the army's like, Okay, well, she used her big toe. I was just about to say that. Literally, like, visually that's what they in said. my head, they said she used her big toe. I thought she must have just like used her feet. That's what they said. <laughs> like, They're like, oh, she used her feet. But still, that's such a far stretch. It is, and the interesting thing is, she had been calling home and talking to her mom about the fact that she was raped. Oh, yes, she was raped, and. She had reported it and she told her mom all about it. And she was not upset, her mom said. She said she was angry, if anything. She was fired up. Mm. And within two weeks, she was dead. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a setup. Right. Some sort of cover up. Right. It was mm-hmm. just very, it, it was very strange. And around the same age too, 19, 20 years old. It just sounds very unsafe to be a woman in the military. Yes. But they don't publish those statistics. So when they go to the schools and they tell people and they're just telling them all the good things, they're leaving this off the table. And like they said in the documentary, if more women knew this, they might be hesitant to join the army. So on August 16th, the dad reached out to the army again and he asked them about the evidence. Could he see some of it? And they said the evidence is so messed up that it might take a year to you know straighten it out. He's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, just send me whatever you got. What the hell? On September 19th, he says, like, you know, they talk about the fact that suicide was the cause of death, right? Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, the intraoral gunshot wound was, but, like, that suicide was the official statement made. Mm -hmm. But he said he talked to someone in the army that said, we will do everything we can to find out about your daughter. I mean, would you say that if the person really had committed suicide? Right. So kind of strange. Mm Mm-hmm. Eventually, though, 
He puts in some Freedom of Information Act requests or FOIA requests. You can request certain documents from the government by filling out some sort of form and stuff. It's a it's an actual like federal law. All I've got to say, just because you filled out the form and said, hey, I want this document, doesn't mean you're going to get it. Sometimes you just get back a paper with everything redacted except for like a word or something like it's crazy. It's actually insane. But to get certain information, especially when you're dealing with the army, you got to file these FOIA requests. So the dad files one and he's finally given black and white copies of photos of her and just like reports about her. And these reports say a lot of different things. And this is the report that I found online. So just so you know, we're going to link it, but it is about 315 pages long. And I didn't see graphic pictures in it, but it did warn that there were graphic pictures. But I just was scrolling really fast because I was like, no, no, I can't see it. Because not for nothing, the documentary does show very graphic photos of her. Yes. I've not seen graphic photos like that on TV. I was shocked. I was shocked. If you can't handle seeing blood and stuff like that and a person who's not alive, you probably don't want to watch a documentary. Let me tell you some things that I read in the report and that, you know, they talked about on camera a little bit. So these reports are taken the same day that she is killed Mm -hmm. or in the army's eyes committed suicide. Mm -hmm. So before I even take us through the reports, let me just frame what the army is now saying and what the reports say about what exactly happened. So she goes into the contractor's tent on around July 19th in the morning. And so technically July 19th in the morning over there, which means that it's still July 18th over here. Okay. Okay. So she goes in to the tent, apparently just shoots herself in the mouth and starts a fire before she does that. And to try and burn the tent down before shooting herself. And so when they find her, she's laying on the floor and the gun is next to her and her, I want to say it's her right arm is up covering her face. Literally, as if you're blocking sunlight, bent at the elbow, covering her face. This sounds like she was positioned. Like, this all sounds like it was set up to look a certain way. I was, when I saw the photo of her laying like that with the, like, literally as if she's blocking sunlight, I said, huh? How would your body, well, I don't know. I don't even know. From, like, shooting yourself be positioned in that manner. I I don't don't know. know. And then the bullet was found under her right thigh. So that's what's, what was being said. I'll go into more details now as I read some statements from different people. And like I said, these statements were all taken on July 19th, which is insane. Cause I'm like, whoa, they moved really, really fast. Mm-hmm. One person said they heard a gunshot at around 1.45 AM, but didn't hear like the sirens go off. So normally I guess it would go off if it was like an emergency or something. They didn't hear it. So they didn't think anything of it. So they kind of okay. just kept doing what they were doing, which is mm-hmm. just they were eating or something like that. Now, there's a statement from someone on the medical team who said that they walked into the tent and as far as they could tell, there was no signs of a struggle. And she appeared as if she was sitting up with her legs crossed before she shot herself. So let me read the exact statement because I have it right here. Here's their exact words. My observations of the victim were that she was a mid-20s to early 30s Hispanic or African-American female. She appeared as if she was sitting up with her legs crossed and fell backwards, laying face up. 
As far as I could tell, there were no signs of a struggle or marks on the patient. The wounds appeared to be self-inflicted from the way she had initially been holding the weapon in relation to the wounds in her mouth and the back of her head. The victim was wearing army shorts and t-shirt and sneakers. You clearly hear them say that she had a wound on the back of the head. Her dad said that she only had a wound, a bullet wound on the left side of her head. Mm -hmm. When they showed the graphic pictures on the screen, which I saw, it looked like maybe she had a wound on the top of her head, but it wasn't what I would expect to see if someone had shot themselves in the mouth. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. It looked to me like someone had hit her in the head, if that makes sense. Okay. The interesting part also about that statement is earlier in the statement, the person literally says that when they walk into the tent, it's really dark. So I was like, if it's really dark, how are you able to say like, if the wounds are self-inflicted and what you could see and what you don't see, you know what I'm saying? Because the way they set up the statement and stuff is that they're telling them exactly what happened moment by moment. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, huh? Did you guys bring in lights at that point? I mean, there was a fire going on at the same time, by the way, that they were trying to put out and they eventually put out the fire and stuff. But even the position of the gun, when they show like drawings on the screen, the muzzle of the gun is facing away from her body. Hmm. So it's like pointing almost, it's on her left side and it's almost like pointing at the wall in like a diagonal way, but it's next to her on her left side. Let me continue to read some more statements. Someone else said that she had been having issues with a boyfriend and that he wasn't answering his phone, but that she was in a cheerful mood otherwise, but would sometimes joke about unaliving herself. Now, I looked into this like boyfriend character and I tried to figure out who this person was. I couldn't figure out exactly who it was, but it looks like she met him maybe in Texas, on the base in Texas. Mm. And so she was deployed to Iraq. She's trying to give him a call. He's not trying to answer, that type of stuff. To go off of that statement, another person said that she tried to help Lavina to figure out more stuff about the boyfriend. She just seemed really concerned and her mood was off. So the friend called her friend over there. And so they talked to the guy and the guy was like, basically like, I have somebody else now, like stop calling me. So this person said from that point on that Lavina's mood changed. And she said that like there was one point where she had a knife in her pocket that she needed help getting out. And Lavina was like, I'll help you. And she's like, well, be careful. You're going to cut yourself. And she's like, well, maybe I I should cut myself. Like maybe I don't want to be here anymore or something like that. She also said Lavina had been getting emails from her doctor and the text is blocked out though. But what they said on the documentary versus the text, like, it seems like Lavina was raped during the time she was in Iraq and that she was getting emails from the doctor about a prescription she needed for genital warts, which is caused by HPV. And so she was upset about that and and she felt like her life was changing and she had no control over that. That's what was said. That's definitely tough. Yes. For a 19-year-old. Right. Right. But there's no more details given about, like, who this person was, could have been, who raped her, and stuff like that. Is there, like, a date? No. That's... No. A lot of the stuff is blocked out. A lot of it. It did say something like she had inquired... She had talked to the doctor maybe a few weeks earlier in July... That's the most information I saw about it. She saw the doctor earlier in July. They gave her like something 
medicine wise and then she saw them or they emailed her again around this time to be like hey we have the other medicine too come and get it i mean her parents were kind of like you could tell that it bothered them like how did we not know that this happened right like she had told at least one person that she was violated and one of the things i did read did say she was forced to have sex but it didn't it blocked out the person's name it like i couldn't really tell like who had forced her is Mm. what i'm saying because then what started happening was i started reading statements from a guy who she was possibly hooking up with in iraq and so people ask like would he have hurt her and his roommate's like no like he wouldn't have hurt her like he talked so highly of her he's like they weren't even doing anything like i think she kissed him that night that she ended up dying oh that's a little weird though yes you just you never know because she's upset over her ex-boyfriend she's not over the ex-boyfriend possibly right he might be annoyed about that Mm -hmm. i'm just saying people can snap i mean shoot there's a whole tv show around people snapping so it's not Mm far-fetched i agree let me see what else they said about do they look into that anymore because again this was the same day of her death Apparently they looked into it and people just aren't really talking. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a code of silence in the army too. And I could kind of see why people wouldn't talk because not for nothing at the end of one of the statements, it was like, have we treated you fairly today? I said, did they really ask that question? The person's like, yes, I feel like you've treated me very fair. Like, huh? How are you going to get an authentic answer from someone? You're like asking them right. and telling them, like looking them in the eye, like, have we treated you right? Reading these statements, it's like, uh, I don't know if people were, you know, really being super truthful. Hmm. These statements kind of play into the idea also that she committed suicide, right? And the dad, you know, he did ask the doctor, like, okay, what else is there? Why do you guys think she committed suicide? And one of the things they said was that she was eating ice cream for every meal and that she likely was depressed because of that. And the dad's like, it's 120 degrees in Iraq. If she is suicidal and eating ice cream, we are fucked basically. Right. <laughs> like so right. many people love ice cream, right? And dream about eating ice cream all the time. Like it sounds like a great scenario. Like, let me just eat ice cream all the time. Right. So he was just like, the dad really was not with the shits. He was just literally like, Yeah, sell this to somebody else because I'm not sold on this. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting because people were also saying that she had picked up a, a habit of smoking cigarettes and But there was conflicting stuff. One statement would be like, oh, she was smoking cigarettes, but it started only a few days before she died. And then someone else was like, no, she hated that stuff. Like, she literally came to my room to give me a cigar because she hates smoking. Like, she thinks it's so nasty. So you start to see a few gaps in the Mm -hmm. statements when you read it. Some people saying she was happy all the time. She was always on time to things. She was so kind to me. And she seemed like she was very close with her family. And other people saying, well, she said, she asked me if I was afraid to meet God the day before she died. And I asked her, well, are you trying to kill yourself? And she said, hell no, I'm not trying to kill myself. Well, I have too much to live for. You know who she said that to? The guy she was hooking up with. Mm. She asked him, apparently, are you afraid of me, God? But, like, it is kind of fishy. Now that I'm saying it out loud and him reporting that she said that, 
it does sound a little weird. Yeah, it does. And again, there's like no way to to know for sure. But when the dad is going through all of these pages, okay, he finds out something that's like pretty dark. And he sees a picture basically of her vagina, but it's not very clear. But as he's going through the rest of the, the copies and stuff, there's a picture of a CD at the end. And he's like, he thinks somebody felt like I need to do the right thing and put a picture of the CD in it. So maybe he'll request it. And that's exactly what he did. He's like, I feel like there was a good Samaritan working in the army and was like, let me make a photocopy of the CD. Wow. Yeah. So that he knows it exists type of right. shit. So of course he puts out FOIA requests and he's like, you know, send me the CDs. And they're like, no, we're not sending it to you. He's like, well, my, do- my daughter was definitely murdered. I want to see the CDs. And they're like, well, there's people on the CDs. There's names there that we don't want you to see. And he's like, well, if they were involved in my daughter's murder, I should see them. And they're like, well, contact our legal department. So then he had to go up against the lawyers. But what does he do? He goes to Congress and he finds the representative for Missouri in particular, whose name is Representative William Lacey. William Lacey is a black man. And he was a representative in Congress for Missouri for 20 years, from 2001 to 2021. And before that, his dad was the representative for 32 years, from like 1969 to the the time he took office. It made me so excited reading. I was like, wow. At this point in the story, time is kind of passing by. It's now like 2007. It's the spring of 2007. And so he reaches out and the the representative is like, you know what? Yeah, I'll ask the army on your behalf for the CD. He's like, I think it might just contain more things that might help my case. So Congress happened to be holding a, some sort of hearing on Patrick or Pat Tillman. Do you know who he is? Sounds familiar. He is an NFL player who enlisted in the army after 9-11. And He was killed during friendly fire. Basically, somebody on his own side shot him. Mm -hmm. But at first, like, newspapers were saying that, like, he was a a hero. And he was like, the enemy had shot him and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. not to say he's not a hero, but he apparently was very uncomfortable with, like, a lot of the stuff the army was doing. And he felt like they were going to try to use him for publicity. And he would tell people, like, if I die, can you make sure the army has nothing to do with my funeral? Like, I feel like they're going to parade me around and try to, like, do this marketing thing. Yeah. So they were having a hearing about, like, you know, what the hell is going on in the army? Like, this is unethical. Like, you guys awarding him this high honor award, but it's based on a lie. I mean, he's done great work, but, like, why did you lie? Why didn't you want people to know that it was someone on his own side who killed him? Is it because y'all purposely killed him? Is it? Anyways, this Congress hearing is going on. And by the way, his brother also enlisted with him. So they were both deployed. So this Congress hearing is going on. And so Representative William Lacey is like, okay, and I know the family of this, of Lavina Johnson, and and they want the CD. And like the army, the head of the army dude, whoever he is, I think it was like the chief of staff of army, but it's someone who holds a high position in the army. He, he put him on the spot and he's like, can you get them that CD? And he said, we will do everything to get that CD if we get the FOIA request. And he's like, well, I've been told that you guys have gotten a few FOIA requests on this matter. He's like, well, you know, we're going to do 
the best we can to fix this. But apparently after the hearing, he told the team like, yeah, like, no, we're not going to give that CD. But somehow, some way, they eventually ended up giving the CD. I don't know how it happened, but like, they handed over the CD. And when he popped the CD in and he was looking at the images, the image of her vagina in particular were very clear. And he could see because the pictures were in black and white. Okay. Okay. So he could see and he could see that there were so many cuts on her vagina. And there was also like some sort of like liquid oozing on her, but it was almost like he said that when, I guess he might've showed it to an investigator or something, but they said, it looks like they poured acid on her genitals to try to get rid of DNA. Wow. Which is insane. And if you're wondering, yes, they did try mm-hmm. to exhume her body in 2007. And I, I think it would have been around that time. But again, they weren't specific. But I'm thinking because what he saw mm-hmm. after this Congress hearing, it might have been after the Congress hearing. And the results were inconclusive, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the family, thinking back now, they're thinking, well, we thought the army was going to do the right thing. So, of course, we proceeded with the burial. It just goes to show, like, you can never be too sure. Because the yeah. army looked like they were just hiding stuff. From the beginning, you know. So they never hired a private, like, medical examiner? I don't think they did. No, they didn't do, like, their own private autopsy or anything mm. like that. They didn't talk about it on the on the show. And that was their, you know, that's their one platform where they could talk about, this is what we did. Mm-hmm. But we also know that, you know, sometimes these shows cut things out. But from the looks of it, if they had done it, they wouldn't have exhumed her, I would think. They had done it in the first place. Mm-hmm. But the dad did have his suspicions right from the beginning, so I'm surprised that they were like, let's bury her. I wish this story had a very clear ending, but it doesn't. A lot of it is shrouded in mystery. They never, ever were told who it was who raped her to begin with, number one. And the other thing is they never were able to get an answer that kind of aligned with their findings, meaning that... The army has stood 10 toes down on their response that this was suicide despite the black eye, despite the bullet hole on the temple, despite the acid on her genitals and Mm -hmm. the cuts to her vagina. Like they're standing on that and they're not changing their position. They also refuse to change the date on her tombstone because her parents are like, we're pretty sure she did not die on July 19th. So this part, this happened actually recently. This was in 2023, the summer, this past oh, wow. summer. But every article I found on it and the video I watched, they weren't clear about why they want to change the date. Yes, I talked about the time difference earlier and I was like, it, they found her in the morning, July 19th, so it's probably July 18th, but they want to change it to the 17th. So I went back through the documents to look and see like, is there anything in here that would indicate that she went missing you know maybe on the 18th iraq time that would make it the 17th this time okay, but sure. when i went through it i couldn't find anything that showed that if anything her roommate who's like in the barracks i mean there's a bunch of people that like live in the same barracks but one person in particular said that they last saw her on july 18th around like 6 30 p.m Interesting. but it would have already been july 18th in the u.s at the same time so 
they never broke it down on the news, which I was just like sitting there watching the news clip for the five minute clip. I said, y'all didn't ask the one question you were supposed to ask. Why July 17th? You know what I'm saying? Point to it in the document. Mm -hmm. But they did, they did show a document, but they didn't zoom in. But they're basically the dad's argument was that an official document said July 17th. I didn't see that official document, Mm -hmm. but he was trying to say that, but it was also so wild to see how much the dad had aged since the documentary. 2010 versus now 2023 i mean it has been 13 years but when i tell you he looks like a completely different person like he looks like a grandfather like he looks like super old yeah i was you know but i think something like this is going to age you yeah right like and and all he does is like try to find the answers and tries to get people to help him advocate for his daughter and stuff like that And another interesting fact that people might not know is that the military has their own court system. They do not operate under the court systems that we know. So federal and state, yeah, no, they got their own stuff. And so what happens a lot of the times is you'll see them trying cases and people not being held to the standard that you would think they would be held to. Like people might get nine months for something like a rape or they go by their own statutes as as far as even like sentence lengths. So it's completely different, which is insane. But their argument is just like, they understand, I guess, their soldiers better and understand the circumstances. And, and, you know, that's one of the reasons that they need their own system. Okay, but still, where's the protection for the victims? That's what I'm saying. You're right. protecting the soldiers right. as they are, but what about when they become victims? I just also feel like that's incredibly it's, biased. It's yeah. almost like as if the NYPD or like police officers had their own Imagine. Imagine chaos. chaos. Because like honestly, if you already see it as like, you know, sometimes the army, they be acting like they're a gang or whatever, not for nothing. Mm-hmm. And like, you know what I'm saying? Kind of like cops are like blue lives, blue lives. It's like the army green lives. I don't know. Yeah. But you think they're going to give you a fair trial? I don't know. Of course, you hope that people have objectivity, but I don't I, I don't know if I could really bet on that when it comes to them. All of that to say, there's no answers as to what happened to Lavina. We just will never know for sure. Her parents are convinced she didn't commit suicide, but the statements, some of them say that she was feeling suicidal. Some of them said that she was happy-go-lucky. Her parents said that she didn't seem like she was distressed, but we don't know how the rape could have affected her mentally Mm -hmm. if that were to happen. But at the same time, not for nothing, now that you've heard everything, what do you think? I mean, listen, people go through things and have suicidal thoughts, you know. So, and especially with the army, you know, you add that to it, it's possible. But the circumstances are so extreme right. that I just don't think she did this to herself. Yeah. I really don't. Yeah. The circumstances for me is what has me questioning whether or not she yeah. was capable of doing this. It seems to me scientifically impossible, number right. one. <laughs> yeah. Like, a 40-inch gun and you're five foot five one, like... I don't know. And then also the other injuries, like, are you going to have a black eye from shooting yourself? I, I don't, job. you know, a nose job. Let's say the bullet nicked her nose, but like, I don't think so. It wouldn't be on the outside. I don't know. It just, 
you know, it just doesn't align. Like certain things just don't line up for me. And it yeah. starts with the autopsy for me. Mm-hmm. But like mm-hmm. the dad seeing the pictures of the genitals, having to look at that, first of all, heartbroken. Looking at the pictures of his daughter in general, he was just like, I had to go in the bathroom and cry for an hour. Oh my gosh. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. You know, why was she covering her face like that? He's like, it just gave me more questions and it just made me just, you know, as a dad, you feel helpless is what he was mm-hmm. basically saying. Like, And all he's been trying to do is fight for her and fight for the truth and stuff like that. And now, I mean... That happened 2005. Like, we are going on a long time now since this tragedy. Almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, this is a PSA. If you have anybody in the Army, check on them. You know what I mean? Like, it just seems like... Anytime you report something like this, something happens. And again, the report did not say when she reported it. But she had only been in Iraq for six weeks when this happened. When she was on a live. When she was killed. That was her only deployment ever? or Apparently, yes. first? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. It seems like... You know, with the doctor requesting, like, with the doctor kind of mentioning an earlier July date, it seems like whatever happened likely happened when she was there in Iraq. Right. All of this just gave me, like, goosebumps and whatnot. So, like, you know, if anything, I think this is a PSA, like, be careful with joining these institutions. I'm not even kidding. Like, sometimes everybody's for themselves a lot of the time, like gang gang you know what I'm saying like that's what it is a lot of times that's the type of culture you're walking into so you know it is admirable of course for people to fight for their country and to be patriotic and stuff like that and I wish the United States was making a different state in general right now when it comes to political climate it would Mm -hmm. be great to be unified but I don't know when we're gonna see unity but all I've got to say like you know you just got to be careful because you know you could be for the the country and 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 they might be against you yeah and for somebody else so that's the story of labina johnson and with that i guess that concludes this week's episode of it's the mystery for me tune in next week for another new episode and another case be safe out there y'all bye guys peace